Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. It's so good to be with you here on the first of the new year. And I believe the Lord wants to speak some things to us that will really prepare our hearts to think in the right direction, move in the right direction, and be in rhythm with Him for all the wonderful things He has for us this year. Let me just say this regarding worship. I love what Living the Team were releasing a few moments ago about the Lord breaking off fear and instead giving us a song of praise. Even at the last bit there where we were saying, your praise will ever be on my lips. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms where David writes this, yet I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. There's something about the consistent posture of praise that honestly, I know it sounds cliche, but it really does confuse the enemy. It moves God's heart on your behalf and moves the enemy out of your way in order for the will of God to be accomplished in your life. So I want to pray over that bit for just a moment, and then we'll jump into the word for today. So Father, we thank you for the ways in which you've already spoken to us this morning through worship as we've approached you, Lord, with a heart posture of worship. And Father, I thank you that this morning you have already dealt with that enemy of fear regarding 2023. Uh, and Lord, we have already made declarations over this year that it will be a year where your praise is ever on our lips, where we will constantly recognize the provision of your hand, the movement of your spirit, and what you're doing, doing in our midst, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's begin this morning by going to the book of 2 Samuel, and we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Now, 1st 2nd Samuel, it has a lot to do with the story of King David. This moment in his life in 2nd Samuel chapter 5 is a pretty key moment because it really represents a new season that he's moving into. For a portion of his kingship in Israel, He's not king over the entirety of Israel. He's only king over a portion of Israel. The first seven years, he's a king over Judah, just one tribe or maybe two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, the southern kingdom of Israel. But then in this moment in 2 Samuel chapter 5, he moves beyond just partial leadership of the nation into full leadership of the nation. And he's really stepping into a new season. So I believe that in this passage there are some there are some parallels, some things we need to notice about the way David handled a new season that we can apply for our lives stepping into a new year. Second Samuel chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines 
Will you deliver them into my hand? Notice verse 19. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver them, deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Bel-Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. By images it means the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Therefore David inquired of the Lord. Notice verse 23 again. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. For the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Getzer. Now, I love David for many reasons. We know that David's a warrior. We know David's a worshiper. We know David's a poet. Jesus referred to David as a prophet. David is many, many things. But one of the things that's key about David is his consistent humility before the Lord. And that humility comes out in this passage, even if, when we first read it, it doesn't seem like the standout feature of his life. Here's how David's humility manifests in this passage. David consistently positioned his heart to inquire of the Lord. To inquire of the Lord. And here's the big idea I want to give you today, and we'll spend the rest of the morning unpacking it. God loves inquisitive hearts. God loves inquisitive hearts hearts. You see, it's interesting to me that David chose to inquire of the Lord regarding this enemy, the Philistines. Now, if you'll remember back to David's earliest battle, his first battle ever outside of his father's fields, it was against who? The Philistines. Of course, personally, he had faced some battles against the lion and the bear and the insecurities that no doubt came because his brothers looked down upon him. You know, David had already faced some personal battles and was victorious. But his first public battle was against an uncircumcised Philistine named Goliath. So he faces the Philistines in his youth. And now years later in his maturity, when he becomes king, he faces the Philistines again. So this is not really the point of my message, but let me add this footnote. Don't think just because you were victorious over something years ago that you don't have to stay vigilant in that area again. The Philistines knew that David beat them once, but they must have thought to himself, 
That's when he was a youth. We're sure that in his maturity, he has grown lax in his watchfulness against us. Therefore, because he's most likely arrogant, now that he's king, we're going to attack him again. But what they did not know is that though David had matured in his responsibility, he did not allow his responsibilities to cause his heart to become arrogant regarding his vulnerabilities. As you enter a new year, God may have huge stuff for you. God may have big stuff for you. God may have new levels of responsibility and assignment. Regardless of where you go from here, don't allow new seasons of maturity to cause you to overlook areas of personal vulnerability. You have to stay vigilant in the areas where you have previously already secured victory. So the Philistines heard, David is king, let us go search for him. And when David finds out the Philistines are looking for him, the first thing he does is it says he goes to the stronghold. In other words, I'm not going to leave myself vulnerable. I'm going to go to the place where I know there is strength. I'm going to go to the place where I know there is protection. I'm going to go to the place where I know I can be fortified against attack. Can I encourage you to do something this year? Don't leave the strongholds in your life. Don't leave the places where God empowers you to walk in victory. There's another time later in his life where David, in a season of war, neglects to go to the stronghold. We all know the story of Bathsheba, where he is on his balcony looking out over the city of Jerusalem, and he sees a woman bathing on her housetop. And what does he do? He commits adultery with Bathsheba, then has her husband murdered because he impregnates her. Now, why did that happen? It doesn't just happen because David's on his balcony overlooking the city. The passage begins, now it happened in the time where kings go to war that David was on his balcony. David, if kings are going to war, why are you at home on your balcony? Because he was not in the stronghold during the season of warfare, he was vulnerable vulnerable to being attacked by the enemy. And I hear the, the, the voice of my friend and brother, James Alatteran, in my ear right now. Don't forget that you're in a war. As we enter a new year, there are new promises. There are new blessings. There are also new challenges and new battles. Don't forget you're in war. And don't forsake the stronghold, leaving yourself vulnerable to the enemy. So David hears the Philistines are searching for him. And where does he go? The first thing that he does is he goes to the stronghold. What's the next thing that he does to see breakthrough. Because he had seen victory at one time, beheading a giant. This time, he sees breakthrough to the degree that this is the passage where we get our understanding of God as the God of the breakthrough. Like, I, I know that, we, that, that language is familiar to us. It's a very biblical idea that our God is the God of the breakthrough, and it comes from this passage where God breaks out against David's enemies, and he calls the place Belperazim, which means the Lord of the breakthrough. The God of the breakthrough because God broke out against him like the breaking forth of water. What he's describing is the idea, the imagery of a dam breaking and water gushing through with unstoppable force, and he's saying that's how God acted against my enemies. He came through with unstoppable force. But before we get the God of the breakthrough, what do we get? David goes to the stronghold. He doesn't leave himself vulnerable. 
And then when he hears about the Philistines, he doesn't think to himself, I've faced them before, I'm going to do what I did before. He doesn't think to himself, he doesn't assume that I beat them when I was a teenager, I'm surely going to beat them when I'm a man. He doesn't just assume I know what to do because this enemy has been terrified of me in the past. No, what he does in the stronghold is he inquires of the Lord. He says to himself, I'm not going to assume I know what to do in this new season. So I'm going to pause, and rather than gather my military commanders around me and draft up a strategy based on my prior victories, I'm going to tell everyone to wait outside while I inquire of the Lord. Can I give you a bit of encouragement, maybe a bit of a directive for this new year? I want to encourage you not to just charge into this new year, drafting up resolutions that didn't come first from a place of inquiring of the Lord. Because if we simply map out objectives for us to accomplish in our own strength, needs for us to do because they're part of our ideals, then we may find ourselves chasing things that God never intended for us to chase. It's not enough to have just goals, objectives, and ideals, we need to have the word of the Lord regarding the matter. The word of the Lord regarding the year. Did you know when David faces the Philistines the first time, when he faces Goliath, he shows up at the camp, and everyone's terrified, everyone's intimidated by the voice of Goliath, and when David looks around, he says, is there not a cause? That word cause could also be translated word. Is there not a word? In other words, I know that everyone's listening to the voice of Goliath, but does anyone have the word of the Lord regarding this battle? Has anybody bothered pausing and inquiring of the Lord? Has anybody thought it's important enough to ask God his thoughts regarding this issue? And I want to ask you the question for this year. Have you slowed down enough to inquire of the Lord? Or are you living based upon assumptions from even a healthy or maybe unhealthy track record behind you? And here's what I wanna encourage you with. God has something to say about this year for your life. God has something to say about this season. Have you asked him? So David, though he's king, though he has new authority, though he has a track record of victory over this enemy, he doesn't assume he knows what to do. He goes to the stronghold, he makes sure he doesn't leave himself vulnerable, he goes to the place of strength, and then he inquires of the Lord. And the Lord gives him strategy. The Lord gives him an answer. Delane and I were talking about this just the other day. I'm amazed at how much God invites us to ask him questions. Not just because he likes the questions, but because he likes to answer the questions. James, in, in the book of James, in the New Testament, says this. If anyone needs wisdom, let him ask of the Lord, who gives to everyone liberally 
And he doesn't do it with frustration in his heart toward us. But if someone asks the Lord for wisdom, let him actually believe that he's going to receive the answer to his prayers. Because if not, then he's unstable. He's double-minded in all of his ways. Let him not suppose he'll receive anything. In other words, what he's saying is, when you need counsel, ask the Lord for counsel. And the Lord will answer you when you ask him. My mom pointed out to me something, this was months ago, about Paul the Apostle. Something that's a, almost an overlooked detail, but it's quite astounding if you consider it. Paul talks about, I believe in the book of Galatians, having a thorn in his flesh. This, this area of torment and frustration that God gave to him to humble him because of the, you know, his, the mysteries that he's been given. Maybe it's in 1 Corinthians actually. It, it's in one of those epistles, okay. Just go check it out. So he's dealing with this issue, this thorn in his flesh. And he said, three times I asked the Lord to take it from me. And he responded, my grace is sufficient. Now, that's amazing all by itself. I mean, you can unpack that. Thorn in the flesh, what was that? God's grace is sufficient even in the midst of areas of frustration and challenge and testing. But my mom pointed out, consider the fact that Paul was confident enough to ask and Jesus was willing to answer. When you go and you read it in Paul's epistle, Jesus' response, most Bibles, is recorded in red. Jesus himself answered. Why? Because God loves inquisitive hearts. They communicate a level of humility and dependence upon him. And to that heart posture, he responds with counsel. He responds with answers. Not always the answers you expect. But he does respond with answers. So David becomes king. He has a track record of defeating the Philistines. He comes into a new season. He faces a new battle from an old enemy. Hear that. He faces a new battle from an old enemy. I'm not prophesying doom and gloom over this year. But don't be surprised if you face new battles from old enemies. However, don't let it create despair. Know that God has something to say about that. All right, so he faces a new battle from an old enemy. He goes to the stronghold. He inquires of the Lord. God gives him an answer. After he defeats them, watch this. The Philistines have the audacity to attack again. After David sees breakthrough, that is so significant, he names the place Bel-Perazim. And that is so significant that we now understand God to be the God of the breakthrough. Even after that, the Philistines have the audacity to attack again. Again, showing us that the enemies we face from the realm of darkness, they are persistent. And one moment of breakthrough does not guarantee you won't face them again. That's why you have to stay vigilant. That's why you have to stay on guard. That's why you have to make sure the areas of your life where you have been vulnerable to the enemy in the past and seen breakthrough, that's why you have to stay aware in those areas. All right? So he sees breakthrough against them. Then they have the audacity one more time to attack him again. Now, what's amazing to me about David is this. He's a king. In his youth, he beat the Philistines. His first battle as a king, he beats them again because he inquires of the Lord. Next battle, what does David do? He again inquires of the Lord. Now, I'm impressed by his inquiring of the Lord the first time in 2 Samuel 5. 
Because I'm like, wow, I mean, you've got a lot of humility to admit I'm king, but I still need the the Lord's counsel. But I'm even more impressed when he inquires the second time of the Lord in 2 Samuel um, for chapter number 5. Because the Philistines attack in the exact same location, the exact same valley. And David, he had just beat them. I would assume David is going to do the same thing again. But he does not take it for granted that he can do what God's called him to do on his own. What does he do? He postures himself once again to inquire of the Lord, and he makes sure he has the Lord's counsel on the matter. What if we patterned our lives after this rhythm from David in 2 Samuel chapter 5? Rather than seeing a a few good victories and then living our lives as though we know the answers, what if we postured our hearts to inquire of the Lord as a part of our continual rhythm, our continual posture, that we are inquisitive, what's the Lord's counsel? What's the Lord's direction? And it's not just David that modeled this. He's a forerunner to Jesus who modeled this, where Jesus said in John chapter 5, I don't do anything unless I've seen the Father do it. Because the heart posture of Jesus was to inquire of his Father. What's your counsel regarding this issue? What's your strategy for this matter? Inquiring of the Lord, it seems like such a small thing. It seems like such a small thing, but it creates a huge gap. This issue creates a huge gap between those who do it and those who don't do it. Actually, the entire nature of David's kingdom versus Saul's kingdom rested on this issue of inquiring of the Lord. King Saul was David, I mean, King Saul was king before King David. And God ends up rejecting King Saul from the role of leadership in Israel and instead chooses David. And one of the reasons why God chooses David instead of Saul is because Saul would not inquire of the Lord, but David would. Saul, in his own arrogance and impatience, would assume he knew what to do for a situation. And he would move forward and do that thing. Saul would move forward with the counsel of his own heart. Where David would say, I can't do this on my own. I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask, what is the mind of the Lord regarding the matter? Let's consider this in 1 Chronicles chapter 10. We're going to look at one of the things that the word says about King Saul and why God rejected him. Actually, these couple of verses are quite intense because it doesn't just say that God rejected him. It says that God killed him. First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. I'm just going to leave that out there. People are like, <gasps> First Chronicles chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord. Because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. A witch, a medium, a spiritist. Someone who had access to the spirit realm, but not under the government of the Holy Spirit. So he consulted a medium for counsel, not the Lord. Look at verse 14. But he did not inquire of the Lord. He did not inquire of the Lord 
Therefore he killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. One of the major differences between Saul and David is that David perpetually, consistently, part of his rhythm of devotion, inquired of the Lord. Asked the Lord for his counsel. Asked the Lord for his heart. Asked the Lord for his direction. Where Saul would go along with the impulses of the moment and do whatever seemed right in his own eyes. Now, if you take this, these couple of verses where it says that Saul did not inquire of the Lord, and you compare them to something the word says earlier about Saul, they initially seem contradictory to each other. Let me show you this in 1 Samuel. Let's see, 1 Samuel, and I know they're going to put it on the screens, the chapter is evading me at the moment. What is that next one? 1 Samuel, yeah, 28. I'm going to go here and read it. You can turn with me or you can check it, up on, check it out on the screen. 1 Samuel 28. Here's what it says about Saul. Look at verse 3. This is where Saul goes to the spiritist, the witch, who's in Endor, which is funny to me because it sounds like a Star Wars moment. Um, so Saul goes to this, this, this medium. Here's what it says about Saul. Now Samuel had died and all Israel lamented for him. So Samuel who carried the counsel of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the thus saith the Lord. Samuel died. Now this is important. Why? Because prior to Samuel's death, Saul could have gotten the counsel of the Lord from Samuel. Now that Samuel has died, Saul has a responsibility to seek the counsel of the Lord himself. And in this moment, he doesn't know what to do because he's never had to lean in to get his own word from God. Can I, can I tell you, don't so rely on the voices of other people that you don't know how to inquire of the Lord yourself. That you don't know how to get the word of the Lord, the mind of the Lord on the matter for yourself. Now God uses other people to speak to you, to confirm, to encourage, to exhort, to rebuke, to correct. God does that in the context of community. But you've got to have something on the inside of you that knows how to press into God to get his counsel for your life. Now Samuel had died and all Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. As long as Samuel's there, he has no need for the mediums and the spiritists. Because Samuel's able to access the spirit realm, but under the Holy Spirit and the government of the God of Israel. Now Saul is in this vulnerable place because he doesn't know how to inquire of the Lord himself. Then the Philistines gathered together. Am I in the right spot? Yeah, the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. Very interesting. Same battle that David faces later. The Philistines gather. Drastically different results. Why? Not because of one's military strategy and the other's lack of strategy. But because one inquired of the Lord and one didn't. Now I'm saying Saul didn't inquire of the Lord. But again, I'm about to read a verse that seemed to say something contradictory. So the Philistines gathered together. They came in and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army, that's kind of an interesting phrase. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. 
And when Saul inquired of the Lord, okay, now it sounds like the basis of my message is gone. Because I keep saying, Saul didn't inquire of the Lord. Saul didn't inquire of the Lord. Samuel, uh, uh, David did. But this right here says, when Saul inquired of the Lord. So it presents a little bit of puzzle that we're going to look at in just a moment. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Urim, that is a long story. It's part of the garments of the high priest, and that's another message, okay. Either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So he inquires, God doesn't answer. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So, fascinating moment. Later the Bible says, Saul did not inquire of the Lord. But earlier the Bible says that Saul did inquire of the Lord. But God simply did not answer. How do we make sense of this seeming contradiction? I think what we have to do is consider a little more deeply what the Bible means when it uses the word inquire of the Lord. Because see, when we think of the word inquire, we think just ask God a question when you have a question. But when the Bible talks about inquiring of the Lord, it's not talking about occasionally asking God a question when you don't know what to do. When the Bible talks about inquiring of the Lord, it's referring to an overall heart posture that is hungry to know God and in that place of inquisitiveness regarding his nature and his word you ask him questions along the way but the questions come along the way not occasionally because you're scared like Paul what like Saul was all right so I've got some definitions for you concerning the word inquire and how the Bible uses it. Now, I don't know if we're able to put them on the screens, kind of sit this at the last moment. So if we do, throw it up there. Yeah. So the Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, many of you are familiar with that resource. It also has a Greek and Hebrew dictionary. Here's how it defines the word to inquire from the Hebrew. Now, we're going to look at the the Hebrew definition, and then we're going to look at, in just a moment, an outline of the nuanced biblical ways in which the word's used. So, the most literal translation of the word inquire, is kind of bizarre, is to tread or frequent. And the idea is that when you have a forest that is grown up, and you cut a path through because you have tread that path over and over and over again. So when it says... That Saul did not inquire of the Lord, it's not saying that he never asked God a question every now and then when he was a bind. What it's saying is that he did not frequently tread the path of pursuit and develop a rhythm of leaning into the counsel of the Lord. A lot of times we're not getting answers from God because we occasionally hurl up a question rather than frequently treading the path of pursuit. So that's the first definition, the most literal. Now, by implication, this word inquire means to follow. Actually, go back to the first slide if you don't mind. By implication, it means to follow for pursuit or search. So when David's inquiring the Lord, he's not just asking God questions. He is leaning in so that he might follow him. 
because he wants to pursue him. He wants to search him out. He's not just asking, how do I win a victory? He's asking, how do I follow you in this moment? Two very different questions. Are you asking God, simply, how do I win a victory? Or are you asking God, how do I follow you in this moment, in this year? It's not just, what do you have to say about my life? It's, the better, so, so here's two questions for 2023. One question is, God, what do you have to say about my life? That's not a bad question, but I think the better question is, how do I stay in rhythm with you for this year? Because my, my inquiry of you is not just so I can see momentary breakthrough in areas of frustration. My inquiry is based on a pursuit, a desire, a hunger, a longing to follow you. Okay, let's go to the next slide. This is still Strong's. Again, to tread or to frequent, by implication, to seek or ask. Not just to ask, but to seek. Seek is the primary posture of inquiring of the Lord. And then within that whole idea of inquiring is found the idea of worship. Saul may have asked a question, but I don't know that he approached with a heart of worship to follow the king. Are we just asking God questions so we can map out our resolutions? Or are we asking him what he's doing and how we can be a part of it? All right, let's go to the next slide. This um, is just an overview of the ways in which this word inquire is translated throughout the Bible with all of its nuanced means. We'll go through this pretty quickly. So again, you get the idea of the frequency of treading a path to resort to somewhere. In other words, what do you do when you're not doing anything? That's what you resort to. What do you do when you're not doing anything? So when it says that David inquired of the Lord, what it's saying is when he wasn't doing anything, his default mode was to lean in with a heart of inquisitiveness concerning God. That's the posture he would resort to. To consult, inquire of, and seek. Let's go to the next slide. To seek deity in prayer and worship. The reason why it says there to seek deity in prayer and worship is because we would assume it's talking about the God of Israel when it talks about inquiring. But actually in other places, the children of Israel would sometimes inquire after idols. They were asking, they were getting their counsel from the gods of the nations. And whoever we get our counsel from is ultimately an indicator of who it is we're worshiping. So the fact that they were getting their counsel from idols was not just, oh, they got confused about a worldview. It was their hearts were being ensnared to worship another god. And so David, inquiring of the Lord, he was guarding his heart of worship by making sure he had the Lord's counsel. I love this next one, to seek with a demand. In other words, Saul inquired with a maybe, maybe not, God will answer. Saul asked God a question, what do I do about the Philistines? And when God didn't answer immediately, Saul moved on to consult demons. David, on the other hand, sought with a demand that said, if you don't answer me on day one, I'll stay till day two. If you don't answer me on day two, I'm here till day three. If you don't answer me on day four, I'm here till day five. And he sought with a demand that I'm going to stay here till I hear. Saul's impatience cost him the kingdom. David's desire is what kept him on the throne even when he had outrageous sin in his life. Because you know what he did in response to sin? He inquired of the Lord. 
To inquire of the Lord is not to live in perfection. It's to never make a move without knowing his counsel. So David said, listen, I've sinned, but now that I'm rebuked and exposed, I'm not going to just go on about my life and try to pick up the pieces on my own. I'm going to lean in and get the Lord's mind on the matter. If he has to rebuke me, if he has to give me consequences, if he has to take a coal off the fire like he did for Isaiah and cleanse my life, whatever God's got to do, that's what he's got to do. But I'm not leaving until I get an answer from the Lord. You seek with a sense of demand. Let's go to the next one. What else? Oh, I love this. To investigate. Could you describe your relationship with God as an investigation? Are you always looking for clues about who he is and what he's doing? Do you approach your word, your prayer life, your worship life like a detective trying to put together the pieces and lean into who he is? Or is it just kind of like I'll give God his due, I'll go about my life, hopefully he'll bless me and be successful. You've got to approach God with a heart of investigation. To know who he is and what he's doing. I love that description. To inquire the Lord is into it, to investigate. To ask for required demand. We've covered that. Let's go to the next one. Because there's one here I really want to focus on. Okay, to practice, study, seek. Watch this. To seek with application. To inquire of the Lord is not just to want to know what God's saying. It is to want to know what God is saying because you intend to apply it. To seek with application. So it's not just what is God's opinion, and I'll think about that, versus everyone else's opinion. It's this. Once I know God's opinion, that settles the matter, and that's what I'm doing. It's to seek with the attention to apply. And then I love this last one. This last one may be my favorite. What is it to inquire of the Lord? It is to seek with care. To say, I am leaning in, and I'm asking the Lord for his counsel, and I'm doing it with a sense of carefulness regarding my life. Why? Because I don't want one step outside of his counsel. I don't want one, I don't want one step outside of his will. Oh, man. I don't want one step outside of his word. You know, I've been very impacted by, of course, the, the senior leaders, the founders of the ramp, uh, Rick Tao and Karen Wheaton. You know, Pastor Karen is, is really the more known platform side of the ramp. But her husband, I just affectionately call him Mr. Rick. He is behind the scenes, you know, uh, administrating, leading things of the ministry. And just before we moved here to England, we were just talking about, you know, uh, the trajectory of following God. And what does that look like? And living in obedience. And, and uh, how, how do you weigh you know, opportunities that, that, that come your way. And, you know, just all, all of these things, kind of like a, more like a father-son type conversation. And he said this to me. He said, you know, Micah, I am so concerned about only doing what God says that it's possible I've missed some opportunities that he's opened. He said, because I'm not quick to rush into something unless I know it's what God's saying for us. He said, so maybe we've missed some opportunities along the way, but I would rather miss opportunities and maintain purity of heart than to rush into something to try to do something on my own. And that so gripped me to say, God, I want to seek with care. That, that's a posture of inquiring of the Lord. I want to seek with care. I want there to be a carefulness that says, God, I want to stay in rhythm with you. 
Whatever it is you're doing, that's what I want to do. Whatever it is you're not doing, that's not, I don't want to do that. I want to stay in rhythm with you. Did you know when David goes to get the ark, one of the reasons why he wants the ark of the covenant at the center point of the kingdom of Israel is so that way the nation has a place to inquire of the Lord. It says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. David speaks to all of his leaders that are around him. And he says, let us go and get the ark. Now why they lost the ark, we'll get into that in just a moment. He says, let us go and get the ark, for we have not, as a nation, we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. In other words, as a nation, not just a nation, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, God spoke to them and said, you shall be my kingdom of priests. You are my chosen people. I didn't choose you because you're the best. I chose you because I wanted to put my love upon you. And I rescued you out of the land of Egypt. And I've given you promises. And I chose your father Abraham. He goes into all that stuff. The nation of Israel, God's chosen people, spent 40 years not bothering to ask God for his thoughts. Think about that. And so David says, listen, I can't live managing a kingdom without the word of the Lord. I know we've got the law, I know we've got what's written, but I need to know what is God saying right now for this hour. So let us go and get the ark. He goes and gets the ark from a motivation that nationally, we need the counsel of the Lord. And because the people follow the heart of David, they go down together to get the ark, to establish the counsel of the Lord back in the nation. I want to tell you something. We individually need the counsel of the Lord. We corporately need the counsel of the Lord. We have to be a people who prioritize the presence of God because it is in the presence of God that the word of God is released into our midst. Now, why did they lose the ark in the first place? Well, you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5 right in there. And the children of Israel, again, are facing a battle. I believe it's with the Philistines. Wow, what a pesky enemy, huh? Facing a battle with the Philistines. And, you know, the, the, the leadership, the priesthood of the nation, the leadership, they're not following the Lord, Eli and his sons. They're not living under the government of the word of God, nor are they leading the nation in that way. So they face the Philistines, and what happens? <clears throat> As they're facing the Philistines, Nobody bothers to ask the Lord what to do about the issue. So they just say, hey, we know, go get the ark out of the tabernacle and let us take it into battle. Surely God will fight for us. In other words, they wanted to use the ark not as a place of pursuit, but simply as a weapon to win battles. We have to make sure that the presence of God doesn't simply become a weapon through which we win battles for ourselves and not the place where we're hungry to know him deeper. Now the presence of God, in the presence of God, every idol falls. And the enemies in your life that you face, they kneel and they bow. I love that. He is the God of the breakthrough. But if you only seek him when you need him for breakthrough, then you're doing what they did in 1 Samuel. You're using his presence as a weapon, but not as a place of pursuit. So they try to use his presence as a weapon, and guess what? God doesn't play along. Now you think that the story sounds really exciting. You think God's going to play along because 
The ark comes into the camp of the children of Israel, and the Bible says they scream so loud with joy that the earth shakes, and the hearts of the Philistines are terrified. And they look at each other and they, they say, conduct yourselves like men. Their God may be in their midst, but we have a battle to fight. And the Philistines slaughter the children of Israel. Why? Because they try to use his presence as a weapon, not as a place of pursuit and hunger and desire. So David says, listen guys, we've not inquired at the ark since the days of Saul. We need the counsel of the Lord for the nation. He goes and he gets the ark. But you know the story, as it's coming back, as they're bringing the ark into Jerusalem, what happens? They had put the ark on a new cart. The oxen stumbles. Someone reaches out their hand and touches the ark. God strikes him dead. The entire ceremony is halted. It had to be terribly embarrassing for David. He just mobilized the entire nation to go and get the ark, and someone ends up dead, and they drop off the ark at a man's house named Obed-Edom. Like, that's, that's just terrible for David. He's embarrassed, but after three months, he doesn't stop at the embarrassment. He goes, and he finds out what he needs to adjust in order to bring the ark back to his house. And it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 15 that he charges the Levites, and he says, you're going to carry the ark this time. Because what happened last time is we did not consult the Lord about the proper order. In other words, at one moment in David's life, he had a misstep where he didn't inquire of the Lord and people ended up dead. He didn't inquire of the Lord and the entire progression of the glory of the Lord into Jerusalem gets stopped. Listen, we can't afford to take steps that don't come out of his counsel. Why did David, you ever thought about this? Why did David put the ark on a new cart? Why did he do that? If you go back to 1 Samuel, you find out exactly why. Because when the Philistines capture the ark, they don't keep the ark for very long because all kinds of terrible things start happening to them. And I won't get into that story. Just go read it on your own. <clears throat> Especially in King James Version. There's some bizarre things that happen to them, all right? If you're very curious, just go read it. 1 Samuel. So the Philistines only keep the ark for about seven months, and then they send it back to Israel. And so when David recovers the ark, he doesn't go and get the ark from the Philistines. He goes and he gets the ark from an obscure little village on a border town when the ark has just been there for 40 years, which is, like, heartbreaking to me. It, they didn't inquire of the Lord, not because he wasn't available, but because it was too income to go and get it. So it's not that they had a battle they couldn't fight. It's that they had... An inconvenience they didn't bother overcoming in order to go find out where God was. So anyway, so David's like, guys, we, got, we can't live without the ark. So they go and they get the ark from this little border town. I believe it's Kirjath-Jerim. He goes down and they get this ark. <clears throat> and, but I, I'm getting distracted. Here's the point I was making. When the Philistines send the ark back, do you know how they send it back? The Bible says they put it on a new cart. And they send it back to Israel. And the Philistines get away with it. Why? Because the Philistines aren't in covenant with God. David tried to do with the ark what the Philistines did. And he didn't get away with it. Why? Because he is in covenant with God. Don't model your life for this year after those who are not in covenant with God. They may get away with it. 
and they may have success, and they may have all the trappings of this world, and it may look mesmerizing and appealing. They can get away with it because they're not in covenant with God. But when you are in covenant with God, you are required to carry his glory according to his counsel. You are required to inquire. And if you don't inquire, then you may make a misstep. You may take a step that God didn't call you to take. They'll make you vulnerable to your enemy. All right, last thing. I, I want to read just a few quick verses to wrap this up. And this, I'm, I'm closing now. So by turning to new verses, I'm not extending the length here. I just want to show you this. A few verses. Let me go to Psalm 27. I'm going to read three verses. Psalm 27, then we're going to go to Isaiah 40, and then Isaiah 11. Psalm 27, verse 4. Again, I want to show you, uh, we know this verse is very familiar to us, but I want to show you how inquiring of the Lord was not something David did occasionally when he was in a battle. It, it was a part of his rhythm of devotion. And that's what I really want to ask you this morning and ask you to consider this morning. Yes, get the counsel of the Lord for this year. Absolutely. But deeper than that, establish a rhythm of investigation toward God. Establish a rhythm of being hungry to know who He is. Don't approach inquiring the Lord the way Saul did. Because that kind of inquiring of the Lord, according to the Bible, is not actually inquiring of the Lord. He may have asked a question, but he didn't investigate his heart. And so Saul inquired only when he needed it, and then quickly abandoned it when he didn't get the answer he wanted. David said, it doesn't matter how long it takes, I'm leaning in, okay? So again, what I'm saying is to inquire of the Lord, God loves inquisitive hearts. To inquire of the Lord ought to be a part of the rhythm of devotion. Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I mentioned this a couple of Sunday nights ago. Have you ever noticed that in this verse, David says one thing. Have I desired that will I seek? But then he, then he lists three things. One thing, and then he says three. And I think what he's doing is the, 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 the desire is a one thing desire, and there are three facets to this one thing. What are those three facets? To dwell, to behold, and to inquire. I want to be with him, I want to see him, and I want to know him. I, I want to I be where he is, I want to see him in ways I've never seen him, and I want to ask him some questions. Do you go to the Bible asking some questions? Or is it kind of like, yeah, I'll, I'll read my deal, my plan, and here we I'm not, I'm not despising that, but we got to have a heart of investigation concerning God. All right, from there, let's go to Isaiah 40. Again, these are really familiar passages. And, uh, but I'm just bringing them back to light in this context of inquiring of the Lord, the inquisitive Isaiah 40, verse 31. Hear the first phrase in the context of inquiring of the Lord. But those who wait on the Lord. 
Those who wait on the Lord. Those who inquire the Lord. Those who seek Him with care, seek Him with the demand. Those who investigate. Those who are inquisitive. Those who want to stay in rhythm with Him. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. I want to encourage you with something or or maybe identify something. If you're feeling feeling weary, I'm not talking about just like, you know, tired because you stayed up New Year's last night. I'm talking like weary, weary in soul. Could it be that you are not walking in the counsel of the Lord for this season? And I'll say that judgmentally. I just say that from experience. Most of the times when I am like depleted and weary on like a soul level, it's because things are foggy and I don't have the counsel of the Lord for the season I'm in. And I need it, so I'm encouraging you. If you're feeling weary, find ways. And I think this upcoming fast is a great opportunity. Find ways to lean in to the counsel of the Lord. And say, Lord, I, I must be absent of your counsel because I don't have a renewal of strength for this season. Because when I wait on you and get your counsel, that it empowers me in fresh ways. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to tell you, His counsel is worth waiting on. His counsel is worth waiting on. And sometimes you feel silly and ridiculous and misunderstood when you're waiting on His counsel. People don't understand why you're not taking the opportunities that you're not taking. People don't understand why you're not making more movement in your life in the areas they think you should be creating movement. People don't understand. I I can't see how many times, I can't see how many times I've been asked this question in a very derogatory tone. You still working down at that ramp? You know what that question is saying? When are you going to branch out and do something on your own? When are you going to stop waiting around? When are you going to, and I'm like, and I'm just thinking about like, what? There's no way I'm allowing my heart to engage with that tone. Because those who wait on the Lord, what are you talking about? I'm walking in the counsel of the Lord. I don't care if my life doesn't match your perspective of success. The counsel of the Lord is worth waiting on. And I'm not going to consult mediums in the demonic realm to get my objectives for this year. I'm going to say, Lord, I want, I want your counsel. I want your word on the matter. I want what you're saying. So mount up with wings like eagles, run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Let's go to one more, one more verse. This is Isaiah 11. I love this. My wife and I have been praying this verse over this year for, our, for ourselves personally, Isaiah 11, verse 2. Verse 1 makes it clear that verse 2 is about Jesus, the spirit that he carries, and the, the multifaceted manifestations of it. So verse 1 talks about Jesus, the coming one, who comes out of the house of David. Here's what it says. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then from here it describes the different facets of the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit, and watch watch how it couples up. Six more facets here, and it couples them up in pairs. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. We know those go together. 
Why? Paul prays it later in Ephesians. I'm praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, or spirit of wisdom and understanding. Okay, those, those go together. Wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. I'll come back to that one. Next one, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We know the knowledge and the fear of the Lord go together. Go to Proverbs, it links them together over and over. But sometimes we miss that middle one and the link between the two. The spirit of counsel and might. In our minds, that, that doesn't really go together. Counsel and might? Like, like, shouldn't might be partnered with something different? Like omnipotence? Shouldn't might be like connected with something like maybe even holiness, I don't know, but counsel? Counsel and might? Well, let's go back and let's remember David. Every time he inquired of the Lord, the might of the Lord is released. Because when you have the Lord's counsel, you move into the Lord's might. Without the Lord's counsel, watch this, we are fighting things and doing things in our own strength. And whatever it is we try to do in our own strength, it doesn't have God's might. The limit is human might. And we know from personal experience and from biblical experience that might is very small. How do you access the might of the Lord? You inquire and you get the Lord's counsel. Now, the last thing I would want you to feel from this message is discouraged. Like, okay, I feel paralyzed. I can't make a move unless God tells me to do it. Like, I can't get up from my chair right now. Unless that's No, you know what I, you, you know what I want? Th this whole thing is in a warm, encouraging way calling you to a fresh posture of the joyous investigation of God. Say, Lord, I... <laughs> Lord, I want to know you. I want to know you. What are you doing? What are you saying? I don't want to assume I know the steps to take. I don't want to assume I know what to do right now or with my life or with this year. I don't want to assume that my objectives are the important ones. God, because here's what, here's what happens. When you start leaning into God in that way, suddenly you discover the things that are important to you may not be that important to him right now. The things that are important to him may be off your radar. And sometimes he surprises you with the things that he whispers to your heart. And you're like, really? That? Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about for you this year. But when you start to lay down your own things and you embrace his things, all of a sudden the might of the Lord rises up on the inside of you. And you experience the renewal of strength that feels like you're just an eagle riding the wind because you're doing things that were initiated from heaven, not things initiated from the earth. If we will, let's stand together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going we're gonna to take a few moments and pray and worship together. As we do that, if our prayer teams can move into place. Like I said, we're going to corporately pray and worship together and as we do that, if you are in a place individually this morning where you need the counsel of the Lord, you can go to someone in our prayer team, they're, they're going to pray with you. But again, they're going to pray in a place of agreement because I believe God wants to speak to you himself. So, so it's not like go to the prayer team because they're going to tell you what to do. It's go to the prayer team because they want to agree with you because I believe God wants to invite you to a fresh place of hearing for this year.
So if you want to go to someone on our prayer team, if you want to stay right where you are, let's pray and worship together and posture our hearts like David did into a place of inquiring of the Lord. So Father, here we are this morning. We thank you for the invitation that you've given us through Jesus Christ. That was articulated in the book of James in the New Testament, Lord, that if any man needs wisdom, if any woman needs wisdom, if anyone needs counsel from the Lord, they don't have to stay in a place of wishful thinking. But Father, they can come to you, we can come to you with assurance, knowing that as we seek you, you will answer us. Lord, we seek you this morning. And not just this morning, we posture our lives, we adjust our lives into a different posture this morning. Lord, we don't wanna be like Saul, who momentarily asked you a question and then bailed out when you didn't answer him immediately. Lord, we wanna be like David, we wanna be like ultimately your son, Jesus, who Lord embraced a rhythm of life that was going after you. Here we are this morning, God. We reposture our hearts to inquire of the Lord. Oh Lord, we wanna be in rhythm with you. We wanna be in rhythm with you. We wanna be united with your heart. We wanna be united with your mind, Lord. We want the counsel of the Lord. We don't wanna do things that you're not doing. And we want to do things you are doing. We wanna be a part of your work in the earth and in our lives, Father, in Jesus' name. As they sing and they lead us in worship, you take this opportunity to reposition your heart into a different posture for this year, for this moment for your life. In the name of Jesus.